Welcome or welcome back to the Bridge Churches podcast, where we are committed to building irresistible bridges between the unchurched and Jesus Christ. We are so glad that you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, it's so great to be able to be with you today, wherever you are, and whenever this is for you. Whether you're with us live right now, watching later on demand, or listening via our podcast, I just love that we're able to leverage all these different platforms and that you have chosen to spend some time with us today. If you happen to be joining us for the first time today, or if we've never met in person, my name is Scott, and as we jump into part four of this series that we're in called Changing Lanes, I wanna do so by asking you a simple question. Have you ever been driving so long that you almost fell asleep at the wheel? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been driving, you almost fell asleep at the wheel? When, you, when that happens, you can feel it happening, right? Like you can feel yourself nodding off. It's that feeling when your eyes get so tired, it's like they're burning out of your head. And so you, you crank on the AC or you open the window and you lean your head out the window. You kind of keep blinking your eyes and, and shaking your head, trying to keep yourself awake and to shake it off. Have you ever been there? It happens to me twice a month. My 16-year-old daughter, Emma, lives northwest of Toronto and once a month she comes home to be with us. Now, it's about a six-hour drive one way, depending on traffic. And what a typical weekend looks like for us when she comes home is this. I I get up on Friday morning, I leave the house somewhere between 9 and 10 a.m., and I pick her up after school on Friday. She gets out of school, she hops in the car, and together we turn around and we make our way back to Ottawa. Now, we'll stop along the way for some food and things like that, but eventually we get home somewhere between 11 and 12 a.m. We crash, we wake up Saturday morning, and we do as much as we can together as a family. And then on Sunday, I come in for our two live services, and then after those, together, we hit the road again. I drop her off, and I turn around, and I make my way back home again, and I get home sometime after midnight on Sunday. Both Friday and Sunday night, once a month, when I'm somewhere between Kingston and Ottawa, I can feel it, but it's so worth it, because I get to be with Emma. I get to spend time with my daughter and it doesn't matter how far I have to drive or what I have to do, whatever it takes to get to her and to be with her, that's exactly what I will do because I'm her dad. I've been doing this drive now for 11 years, once a month for 11 years and as taxing as it is recently, another variable has been added to this travel that's made it even more draining, if you can believe that. Because of this one thing, the drive has actually gotten worse and more difficult to do and more difficult to endure. To add to the exhaustion, Emma has started listening to country music. (laughs) Now, it used to be that Emma would listen to her music with her AirPods in, and I would forever be asking her to play the music on the car's sound system so that we could talk and, you know, take advantage of the time together in the car. It's like, Emma, we're finally together. You know, let's not sit here in silence. Let's talk. Let's chat. So now she gets in the car and within seconds, the car is blaring redneck ballads about tractors and Bud Light and rodeos. I mean, it's like, oh, I hate country music. You can love where you're going and you can believe in why you're going there, but that doesn't mean that over time that you won't get tired or that you enjoy all aspects of the travel, right? When you're tired, you know this, when you're tired, you lose focus. You think thoughts you wouldn't normally think. I mean, there are times during that drive I've thought, is it worth it? I mean, is it worth it this month? I'm tired. She's only here for 24 hours anyway. Like, is it worth it? Now, Emma is 16 now, but for years I've had thoughts, you know, like it's late at night and I'm like, eh, she's nine, 10, 11, 12, and it's dark. I mean, 
cops wouldn't notice if I let her drive, right? Recently, I've had thoughts like, you know what, Emma? I love you, I've missed you, but could you put your AirPods back in and listen to your music on your own? Like, let's just sit here in silence. I've had those thoughts on the trip, and then, after a great weekend together, I always have another thought. It happens every time, and it happens when I get home from taking her back. I crawl into bed Sunday night, and I'm so tired, I can't even sleep. Like, it still feels like I'm moving. Monday morning, I get up, I go to Starbucks, and I get my IV set up, and then I slug my way throughout the day, and then I go home, and her room is empty. And all of a sudden, as tired as I am, and as much as I hate country music, I think right there in that moment, I want to go back right now. I want to do the drive all over again. I just needed to be reminded of what is really important and why that drive is so worth it no matter how long it takes or what I have to listen to along the way. We kicked off this series four weeks ago talking about where we're going as a church. We've been looking at the windshield towards tomorrow with the hope that you would jump in the car and carpool with us so that we could get to our tomorrow together. And what we said back at the beginning of this series is that the destination that we're headed towards is actually the one that Jesus himself mapped out for us. That our destination was actually a mandate, it was a command or a commission that was given by Jesus himself. And it wasn't up for debate when he revealed it to his disciples then, and it isn't up for debate today. The destination was clear, it was simple. It was go and make disciples. Jesus pointed out the windshield and told the disciples that their destination was to go into the world and make disciples. And what Jesus commissioned his disciples with all those years ago has always served as our mission as a church. The way that we express it is that our mission is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our goal, our destination. Always has been, it always will be. And while the pandemic caused our church community to take a detour, we're changing lanes and we're getting back into that far left lane. And as we do, we're refocusing on what we do, why we do it, and who we do it all for, which leads us to our vision. And the way we express our vision is this. Our vision is to build irresistible bridges between unchurched people and Jesus Christ. That's our vision. Our vision is to build irresistible bridges between Jesus Christ and those people in our communities, the people that you know and love who are unchurched, people who have never or would never darken the doors of a church, and those who maybe have grown up in the church but for one reason or another have walked away, not just from church, but more importantly, walked away from faith. We want to build irresistible bridges to help those people connect or reconnect with Jesus. And because of that, everything we do is done through the lens of someone who doesn't know Jesus. We want to build irresistible environments, services, and opportunities for those people. Those people, maybe it's your friend, maybe it's your coworker, your teenager, your classmate, or your spouse. We want to build irresistible bridges to help the people that you know and love connect or reconnect with Jesus. And part of this vision, as part of this vision, we begin to imagine, what if we get this right? What if we get this right? What if we continue to carpool together and we continue to be contributors instead of simply consumers? We believe as we build more and more bridges together, both individually and collectively here, we will get to the point where we will be able to build more bridges, more bridge churches in this area. And together we can impact the Ottawa Valley with the gospel, the truth of who Jesus Christ is and who and what he desires to be in people's lives. I mean, come on. 
Imagine this place, who we are and what we do here, what we know and love together. Imagine this church all over the Ottawa Valley. What could God do in people's lives? That's the question I want us to answer together. And so, as we change lanes once again throughout this series, I'm focusing in on six things that will become more prominent in our approach. Six things that became clearer through the chaos of the pandemic. Six values that we have identified that we have always had as a church, though we hadn't defined them as a church. For context, I shared last week what that process looked like. So if you missed last week for one reason or another, please take some time to take that in so you can understand where today and the rest of this series is coming from. That's really important. But, but simply put, our mission is our destination. Our vision is what guides us there. And our values, our values are who we are as we go. So far, we've looked at two of these six values that we've identified as part of our church's culture. And as I've said, these values aren't in any particular order. All six are essential to who we've been, which has gotten us here, and who we need to continue to be to get to our tomorrow together. The first one of our values is irrational generosity. Irrational generosity. Generosity, the kind of generosity that makes absolutely no sense. The kind of generosity that leaves you scratching your head, speechless, unsure how to respond, and almost too embarrassed to accept. Generosity that leaves you saying things like, you shouldn't have, or I can't, I don't know what to say, that's too much, I can't accept that, right? All of us have said those things, all of us have said those words, maybe even heard them a few times. I believe our lives are to be defined by them. That we are rationally generous because it embodies the generosity of our Heavenly Father who gave us His one and only Son. That is irrationally generous. And we want to embody that kind of generosity to the very best of our ability. Secondly, as a church, we battle mediocrity. We battle mediocrity. We, we battle against the tendency or the instinct inside of each of us that says, ah, oh, that's good enough. We believe that good enough isn't good enough. We believe that everything we say and do and the heart behind it is ultimately an act of worship, which means whatever you do, as insignificant as it may seem to you, whatever you do, you are not alone. Your heavenly father is with you, he sees you, he knows your heart and he desires it to say, whatever I do, I want it to honor and glorify God. And when you get to that place, suddenly battling mediocrity becomes a spiritual issue. And the goal of battling mediocrity isn't to make something we do good or even to make it perfect. The goal is to make it great. Now, where these values in this entire series lands for each of us personally and for all of us collectively is this. In order for us to demonstrate these values collectively, these values need to be embraced by each of us individually. And so, as we continue to talk about our pursuit of tomorrow and our hope of getting there together, today we're gonna unpack another one of our values. And to do that, we're actually gonna look at a familiar, it's a famous story, it's a familiar story found in the book of Mark. As I said, this is a famous and familiar story. And the tragedy of this story is because of how famous it is, because of its familiarity, you can easily miss or lose the tension that's found in this story. If you know this story because you know how it ends, The temptation is to tune out instead of leaning in and trying to feel the tension that's found in this story. But we have to pay attention to the tension because, and this is important, tension is where growth happens. Part of the value in us identifying our values is that they bring us to a point or a place of tension. And it's in the tension, it's in the questioning, it's it's in unpacking the frustration that growth and change happens. And that is where the disciples are in this famous familiar story. 
As we continue on our journey as a church, we're going to follow the disciples on their journey of following Jesus. And as they do, Jesus shows his disciples what the attitude of a disciple is and what it needs to be and how a disciple actually grows. What we're going to see in this story is that as we grow in a relationship with Jesus, it actually requires us to focus on those who aren't disciples yet. Now, before we get into the story, let me set the stage for you. Jesus and his disciples are on tour, world tour. Jesus was the rock star of his day, and he and his disciples are on the road. They're carpooling, traveling together, and their ministry is blowing up. I mean, it's exploding, so much so that they actually had to change their approach. Instead of just following Jesus around and letting him do all the talking and just watching him do what he does, Jesus actually begins sending them off in groups of two to expand the ministry and to reach more and more people. Now, anyone that's in ministry will tell you that there are always people. There are always people, and with that means there are always needs, which means ministry can be exhausting. So after a time of being apart, ministering, we're about to find them back together, reconnecting. They get back together, and they're telling Jesus about the things that they've seen and the things that they've experienced. They're telling stories, stories of life change, and they're excited, but at the same time, they're exhausted. They're hungry. They need a break, and not only that, but John the Baptist, a preacher at the time and a relative of Jesus, they've just found out that John has been killed. So now they're not only tired, but they're actually grieving a loss at the same time. Their bodies are tired and their hearts are heavy. That's where we find Jesus and his disciples in Mark 6. Because of this, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and let's just rest a while, like let's get out of here. Now he said this because there were so many people coming and going that he and his friends They didn't even have time to eat. And we all know what that's like, right? You've been there where where life is just, it's just hectic. It's chaotic, it's busy, it's go, 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 go. And what do you wanna do in those kind of moments? You wanna withdraw, right? You wanna relax, you you wanna kick off your shoes and put your feet up. I mean, the last thing on your mind in times like that are other people, right? I mean, you need, you want me time. You need time to take care of yourself and to focus in on your own self and your own needs. I mean, we've all been there. And that's where they are. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could just be alone, but it wasn't that easy. Many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran along the shore actually and they got there ahead of them. They were there waiting for Jesus and that's what it's like for these guys. It doesn't matter how much they do, there are always more to do. There's always more people just lining up and waiting. As we continue to build irresistible bridges together, I believe that we'll see and experience this more and more as a church, that more and more people will come looking for Jesus. That's what happened in this moment. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped off from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I mean, they were just wandering. Jesus saw them and he began teaching them many things and this is the moment that changes everything. Right here in this moment is where everything changes in this story, and it's the very thing that could change your story. Compassion, compassion. The ability to see the needs of others. It's the ability to see beyond yourself. It's allowing yourself to be out of focus for a moment so that someone else's face and need can become clear. Think about this. Jesus was exhausted. He was hungry, he was deeply saddened, and he could have easily and justifiably just kind of kept on walking, but he didn't. Now this is easy for us to gloss over, but if we allow ourselves to stop here for a moment, if our desire is to lead people, all people, into a growing relationship with Jesus, this is where it happens. 
This is the image we should all aspire to grow into, where the needs of others, whatever they may be, however demanding they may be, take precedence in my heart and in turn, my actions. Later in that afternoon, the disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place, Jesus. We're in the middle of nowhere. It's getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go by, go to a nearby town or to a village and buy something to eat. I mean, it's getting late, Jesus, come on. Now, they've been driving for a long time, right? The disciples, they've, they're tired, they've had enough, they're starving, they're exhausted. But what's crazy is, in their minds, somehow, they're still thinking of the people. I don't know how they did it, but they're thinking of the people. Let them go, let them go get something to eat. They need to eat, so let them go, Jesus, come on. Makes sense, right? They, they aren't saying they don't have a need. They, they aren't oblivious to their need. It's that they don't see the need for them to meet the need. It's like seeing someone pulled over on the side of the road, right? I mean, you can see that they're in need, but you feel no sense of responsibility to meet their need. We've been there where they are. And it's to this disconnect inside them and us that Jesus speaks and he says, you feed them. <laughs> what? You feed them. I mean, gee, come on, Jesus, we're tired, we're hungry. Are you serious? You always do this. You always think about others. What about us? Right? What about us? What about our needs? They're tired. And you know what you, how you get when you're tired and you've been on the road a long time, right? You get edgy, don't you? You get irritable. With what, they asked, right? We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all of these people. I mean, you want us to feed all these people, Jesus? Come on, like, it's not like we rode up here in some kind of chip wagon and somehow we have all this food laying around. Come on. It's almost as if Jesus is clueless to their position, right? Clueless to what they have to give. In fact, he actually asked them, how much bread do you have? Like, what have you got? Go and find out. <laughs> Jesus sends these guys off. And one thing you have to remember about Jesus is, and this is important, Jesus is always teaching these guys. Every situation he puts them in has a lesson in the waiting. Jesus, he did everything with intention, on purpose, because of the purpose that he had for them. Jesus was investing in them. He was building in them what they needed, the heart they needed, because he knew that he was leaving the keys to his church in their hands. They were in a growing relationship with him, and he was committed to their growth. And everything that he did in the lives of people around them wasn't just to help those people in need, but it was also to help these young men grow and become more like him. Now, the disciples didn't understand this. They didn't get it. And on top of that, they were often, I don't know, they were less spiritual or reverent than we are, which is why they often got annoyed and perturbed with Jesus. I mean, I bet in this moment, they're actually foolish enough to think they're gonna put Jesus in his place, right? They came back and they said, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. In other words, Jesus... We told you, come on, send these people off. Let them go, let them eat, let them get out of here. But Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And they're like, what's he doing? I mean, heads are shaking, eyes are rolling. But they sat down in groups of 50 or 100, pretty big groups. And the disciples are thinking, here we go again. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven, he blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Now, look, we read right over this famous story. It's so familiar, but think about it. Think about it, okay? What does this look like? I mean, if this was on TikTok or IG, if this was on your reels, I mean, what would we see? What would we hear them saying in this moment? 
it wouldn't take long for the disciples to be shaking their heads and laughing, right? I mean, it wouldn't be long before the food that they knew they had and what they could have done with it, it would be gone, right? I mean, it wouldn't be long before they felt alive. It wouldn't be long before they realized a miracle is happening right now, right? Where, where their exhaustion is turned into enthusiasm and excitement. Something is happening, something they can't explain. They're experiencing something they never would have experienced had they kept looking at themselves. And now they aren't thinking about themselves at all. They're thinking, Jesus, this guy, he is amazing. Their faith, their belief in Jesus is growing as they are meeting the needs of others. And at the end of the day, they all ate as much as they wanted. All. They all ate. It wasn't like the disciples didn't get fed. They all ate full bellies. That's what they saw and experienced. And this wouldn't have happened if they had said, we need to eat. We need to get fed. In a masterful way, Jesus teaches. Jesus sends a clear message to each one of his disciples that must have just shaken them to the core. It must have had them laughing as they looked at the sky. I mean, they all ate. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. 12 baskets, one for each disciple. Message sent, message received. There comes a point in your growth or in your development when you don't grow by getting. You don't grow by getting fed. Your growth comes when you meet the needs of others because it's in those moments that you lessen yourself for the sake of others that you actually become more like the Jesus that we follow. Miraculously, a total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. 5,000 men and their families were fed that day. But those 12 young men would never be the same. Now, they could have ate with Jesus and learned more about him, but instead they fed others with Jesus and became more like him. They would not have seen or experienced that new understanding of Jesus and what he was capable of had they simply focused on their own wants, their own needs, and their own desires. And they wouldn't have seen or experienced that new understanding of themselves and what they were capable of had they simply focused on their own wants, needs, or desires. And the same is true for you. And the same is true for me. You aren't forgotten or cast aside when we focus our efforts, attentions, and resources on those who are unchurched. In fact, it's the exact opposite, right? It's, it's with that focus that you and I are put in a position to grow. When we build irresistible bridges together, it's then that you and I are put in a position to develop the heart of Jesus and become more like him. That growth happens when you feed others, not yourself. You become like Jesus. You grow when you see the needs of others and you are filled with compassion and you set aside your own needs in order to meet the needs of someone else. That's when you're growing. That's when I'm growing and so... It's for this reason that one of our values as a church is to be comfortably uncomfortable. We are comfortably uncomfortable. That part of our growth is being comfortable, getting to the place where we are comfortable with being uncomfortable. That part of my growth comes at the expense of my comfort. You can't truly experience the awe and wonder of Jesus without being in positions where you have to embody his heart and his mindset where you have to choose to embrace and embody his continued willingness to forsake his own needs and his own desires in order to meet the needs and desires of those around him. 
And like all of our values, like all of our values, in order to demonstrate this value collectively as a church, each of us needs to embrace this value personally. And the best way to do that is to ask yourself a question. When you find yourself thinking things like, I don't like this, I don't like that, I wish we did this, I wish we didn't do that, ask yourself a question in that moment. Am I willing to sacrifice my personal preferences for the sake of someone else? Am I willing to sacrifice my personal preferences for the sake of someone else? That's a tough question to answer sometimes. And let me be clear, this isn't a question or issue of conviction, okay? We aren't compromising or sacrificing conviction, but are each of us willing so that we can get to our tomorrow together? Am I willing to sacrifice my personal preferences for the sake of someone else? And not someone else's preference, but for someone else. This looks different for all of us for all of us. But your heavenly father desires for you to become more like the person he created you to be so that you can fulfill the purpose that he has for you. And like the disciples, he knows that you grow when you let go of what you have, what you'd prefer, and what you feel you need in order to make space for those who have nothing. He knows that in the end, you will get far more in return than what you let go of. Carpooling isn't easy. It isn't easy. At times it means listening to music that we don't know or enjoy or eating at places that we wouldn't choose. It means at times space is limited and at times it means it's uncomfortable. I mean, we can't take everything with us, so at times we may end up saying no to good things, things that we prefer but aren't essential in order to make space for those that don't know who we are or don't know what we value together. Their need for Jesus is worth everything that we have and anything that we can do. And for those of us who know Jesus, we become more like him when our desire for others to know him is worth more than anything we have or anything we'd prefer. And Jesus demonstrated this, not just in this moment, but with his very life. At the age of 33 years old, he set aside his own wants, wishes, and desires. He pushed it all aside, and he willingly humbled himself. He lowered himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. He humbled himself, he sacrificed, his preferences for sure, but he sacrificed his very life for you, for me. There is no greater demonstration of being comfortably uncomfortable than that. And so today, today, I hope that you will embrace this value personally so that we can demonstrate it collectively for sure. But more than that, let's today take some time to remember this mysterious and wonderful sacrifice together. As Chris mentioned earlier, hopefully you have some elements with you right now. Wherever you are, whenever this is for you, I invite you to take the bread in your hand. Jesus held up bread in front of his friends and before them he broke it saying, this is my body and it represents my, this bread represents my body which will be broken for you. And as often as you take of this, he said, remember me. And so I invite you to do just that right now. Take and remember him. In that same moment at that same table, Jesus took a cup. He lifted it up, and while they were in this moment and likely confused at what he was saying, Jesus was speaking of things that were going to happen to him and what it meant for them. And he said, this cup represents the new covenant between God and his people. It's an agreement confirmed with and in my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And as often as you drink of it, Jesus said, remember me and so. 
wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you've been to and through in your life, Jesus sacrificed all that he was for you. So take and drink and remember him. These values that we hold here at the church are not just simply values. They are ways for us to be mindful and to embody Jesus Christ, to embrace who and what he is and display it to the world. We're going to continue talking about our values next week, but between now and then, I hope that the wonderful mystery of Jesus Christ's love for you would bring you to a place that you would be willing to let go of whatever you'd prefer to see someone else discover and experience that same love for them personally. Thank you for being with us today. I hope that you'll be back next week as we continue on in this series called Changing Lanes. Until then, much love and God bless. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. If you have any questions, you're looking for ways to take your next step, please visit us on our website, bridgechurches.ca. Much love, God bless.